And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And on the phone is registered nurse Twyla Brace. Thanks, Dan. Twyla, it's great to have you with us today. And um, I think some of our listeners may be familiar with you already because you have a short feature that we do carry here at Redeemer Broadcasting that deals with Obamacare. And uh, Twyla, you're the president and co-founder of the uh, Citizens Council for Health Freedom. I believe there was some magazine or something where you were named uh, one of the top 100 people, most powerful uh, health-related people in America or something like that. That's correct. Yeah, so uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the air today. Um, Obamacare, we've heard a lot about that. Uh, it's been around for a little while already. It was um, um, foisted upon us, those of us who di- didn't want it, uh, whether we liked it or not. And uh, we were told that just just pass this thing, and then uh, you can understand what it's all about after it's passed. So uh, I still don't understand what it's all about, and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe our listeners have the same question. You know, Obamacare, um, what is this thing? How would we describe it? Maybe you could help us. Uh, to get started, um, just just kind of describe it as you understand it. Sure, I would be happy to do that. I I would like to just make a comment before, and then I was I was listening to Senator Max Baucus from uh, Montana when he was grilling the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and Senator Baucus was a leading proponent of the law back in uh, 2010, and um, but. Now he's a little bit unhappy, and what he was telling Secretary Sebelius is that when he goes home to Texas, small businesses talk to him, individuals talk to him, and they don't know what the rules are, they don't know what's happening, they don't know what's coming down, they don't know about the penalties. He said most people just don't even know. Mm-hmm. So if your audience is in that same category, I have, I have no doubt that that is true. So... As you may know, Nancy Pelosi said, uh, we've got to pass this thing before we can find out what's in it. And right. <laughs> so it's been three years, and a lot of people don't know what's in it, and yet it is going to be fully implemented starting on January 1st of next year. So it's coming right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I like to explain it to people by first giving them an idea of how big it is, and then second, maybe pointing out some of the things in it that they don't realize that are there. So, um, first of all, it is uh, 2,700 pages. So if you take a stack of paper 900 pages tall, which is a third of that amount of paper, what you end up with is a stack that's about one foot high. And um, But they were really looking at a stack that was three times that large, and so three feet high. And so, obviously, nobody read through that entire Bill, it's almost uh, half a million words, and so it would have taken forever. Plus, they would have had to look through, they would have had to look into former or current statutes to try and figure out how everything connected together. So, um, 2,700 pages long, and then the regulations that have come out so far are about 20,000 pages. They say that's only about 75% of the regulations to come, but that stack all by itself stacks seven feet tall. And it's all with very fine three-column print as opposed to the bill, which is um, 
um, much less print on the page. So you mm-hmm. get a, a, a sense of exactly how many words there are in this law, words that not anybody is going to have the opportunity to ever read, but everybody is going to be obligated to follow. Mm-hmm. So I guess we shouldn't feel too bad if we don't understand these original 2,700 pages, and then on top of that, 20,000 pages of regulation. That's right. Um, yes, it's, 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 the volume is incomprehensible. It, it staggers my mind. I think there was a quote, something like, to this effect, um, if if you still don't think Americans are able to understand a law you passed more than three years ago, then there's something wrong with the law. Right, and I do believe that our, um, our the founders of the country had things to say about the length of a law. Mm. And I believe that when our income tax was signed into law, it was one page. One right? page. One Imagine page. That. So um, maybe <laughs> I can just share some things about the law that you might your listeners might find of interest. Yeah, please do. So some of the things that people probably don't understand, they, they know maybe that there's an employer mandate and, a, and an individual mandate. So if an individual chooses not to purchase health insurance, and it can't just be any health insurance, it has to be health insurance that's approved by the federal government. It has to cover everything that the federal government says it has to cover. Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to cost whatever the federal government says that it has to cost. So if an individual chooses not to purchase that kind of a policy, um, then they have to pay a fine. And the fine starts out at $95 a year, goes up to $695 a year, or 2.5% of your income. That's where the law currently sits, and they could change that any time that they wanted. They could increase the penalty to try and get more people to purchase health insurance. They could do whatever they wanted, but that's where it is now. Mm-hmm. The employer mandate uh, requires that any employer with... 50 or more employees has to purchase health insurance for their employees. But again, it has to be considered affordable under federal standards, and it has to be considered qualified or minimum essential under federal standards. So it can't just be any health insurance policy either. Mm -hmm. And when I say 50 or more employees, I mean uh, full-time employees. But full-time under Obamacare is 30 hours or more. Okay. Which is one of the reasons why a lot of um, restaurants and fast food places are cutting people's jobs down, their positions down to 28 or 29 hours. Right. Because if they go over, if they go into the 30-hour mark, hmm. then the employer can be fined up to $2,000 per employee. Oh, okay. So, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons why some employers are choosing not to hire their 50th employee, mm-hmm. and other employers are choosing to cut everybody's hours down to 28 to 29 hours, right. which, of course, means that those individuals have less money to pay for the health insurance policy that they are required to pay or <laughs> be fined. <laughs> so not only does it curb economic progress for the employer, we're being stuck with something that um, is going to actually cost us more. To, right. uh, to in order to secure health insurance, it'll cost mm. us more. Yeah. Right. Now, I was reading. Um, I interrupted you, Mark. Go ahead. I just just wanted to back up a step here, and so you could clarify because I know a number of people, especially uh, a lot of uh, Christians, instead of having the normal type of health insurance, are actually using something like Christian Care MediShare or Samaritans Ministries, that that would not qualify under Obamacare. Is that what you're saying? 
Um, the health sharing organizations that yes. you mentioned, uh, anyone who has membership in one of those organizations is exempt from the mandate to purchase health insurance. Okay. Obamacare has nine exemptions, and okay. one of them is health sharing organizations. Okay. You will have to prove to the IRS that you are a member okay. of the health sharing organization, but if you... If you are a member, then you are not required to purchase health insurance or to pay the, the penalty. Mm. Okay, well, that's encouraging. That is encouraging. Now, what we got to do is take a short break. Today, we're talking about Obamacare. Our guest on the phone is registered nurse Twyla Brace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf in the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich on the phone line, Twilight Brace, registered nurse. We're talking today about Obamacare, at least trying to understand it a little bit. And uh, I was reading an article, Twilight, uh, written a couple of days ago by Guy Benson, and uh, he was pointing something out that um, may provide some talking points for us here. He says that, uh, remember, the feds have already delayed the rollout of the latter, quote, marketplace and limited participants or choices to one plan. Um, is that true? It's, it's, it's like one plan? The, um, uh, Mr. Benson is talking about what's called the shop exchange, which is the small business version of the health insurance exchange. And because the federal government does not have enough time, staff, money, or ability within the small period here between now and full implementation on January 1st, they have decided that at least for a year, anybody using the federal shop exchange, the one that the federal government creates, as opposed to the one that states would create, anyone using that will have only one 
option. There will be no opportunity to make different choices okay. uh, in that exchange. Thank you. Now, what is the difference between that federal versus the states? Can you help us understand that? Yes. So I like to say there's, there's no such thing as a state exchange. Um, it's just a matter of who pays the money to keep the thing running. When I explain what an exchange is, I say that it is that an exchange is a central server, which is called the Federal Data Services Hub, and 50 dummy terminals, all connected by um, computerized networks. I, it's this big IT superstructure. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the dummy terminal is the website that sits in the state, and in Minnesota it's called Minsure. In California it's called um, Covered California. Connecticut, it's called um, Health Access CT. And so it's a website, it's a URL, it's a place, a portal that you go to to get on this massive exchange structure. Mm -hmm. And so when you say state exchange, it simply means that the state is paying the money to keep the website and all the computerized connections um, intact and running and operating. Hmm. And when you say federal exchange, it means that the federal government is running a URL, a portal, a website mm-hmm. for people to go to, and they're the ones who are spending the money. It's all taxpayer money, of course, federal taxpayers or state taxpayers. Yeah, I think but people a, forget that sometimes, Twyla, yeah. that you know, they think, oh, the federal government's got all kinds of money. Well, where does it come from? <laughs> yeah. yes. Well, the exactly. state exchange versus the federal exchange, you know, we look at it as one big national health insurance exchange system, and the, the website in the state is is just one arm of the bit of the federal okay. system. So so actually the states don't have any control over what's going on. They're just paying for it, is that right? That's correct. Um, wow. Because the law says that the the states um, have to follow the federal law and they have to follow the federal rules and they have to essentially do whatever the secretary of HHS decides that they must do. Mm-hmm. They must annually report to the federal government so they are just an arm of the federal government, essentially implementing wow. Obamacare in the state that they're located in. I um, I was reading further uh, of what Benson had to say, and he, he made the assertion that Obamacare is blowing through cash and that the administrators shut down enrollment for the law's interim pre-existing conditions program when resources were exhausted sooner than expected. Is that true? Yes, the pre-existing condition program for people with pre-existing conditions was given $5 billion to operate during, uh, from the time that it was um, enacted into law until January 1st of next year. And hmm. they expected that 350,000 people would enroll in the program. But instead, they haven't gotten any more than 150,000 people, and the money, they shut it down because the money is going to be gone. Mm. So one commenter talking about this situation and talking about the fact that people with pre-existing conditions are expected to flood the health insurance exchange programs for exchange, government exchange coverage, um, commented that given this situation and how much money they have blown through and how they expected to have plenty of money and they didn't have enough if all 350,000 people would have come in there, mm-hmm. um, that the exchanges are going to need lots and lots and lots of young, healthy people to pay for the cost of all the people with pre-existing conditions yes. that are going to come mm-hmm. into the exchange. 
Yes, and and I tell you, you're on something too. It just it reminded me that with Obamacare, you just want to make sure you never get sick. <laughs> you know, I was reading further in this article, and he was talking about premiums still rising, coverage being dropped, workers' hours being cut back, deficits rising, tens of millions will still be uninsured. Then he makes this assertion, all for the low, low price of $2 trillion. Is that Mm. true? Right. Uh, President Obama tried to keep the price under $1 trillion before it was enacted. But now that, of course, all the real figures have come out and the fact that, you know, they were kind of, they were using a more limited window when they were calibrating those costs, Mm -hmm. the full cost for the 10 years is expected to be much closer to $2 trillion. That, that's the amazing. The matter is that there will be there's at least thirty million people that will still be uninsured, yeah. and then a lot of the people who are going to get their coverage on the exchange are going to be surprised because the policies that are being developed for the exchange in order to try to minimize the premium shock that's coming mm-hmm. are called narrow network policies. <laughs> in other words, you're going to have a policy that costs more with less access to doctors and hospitals, yes. much more limited uh, mm. which clinics, hospitals, and doctors that you can even see. Mm-hmm. Well, I was shocked when I saw the $2 trillion figure because I hadn't followed what all this was costing. And, um, I mean, people know what $2 trillion is, or that they think they know what it is. But, you know, if you just say, this guy's a millionaire, or that lady's a millionaire, that's a one with six zeros after it, you know. Or a billionaire is is nine zeros after, but two trillion is the number two with what is it twelve zeros after it. It, yeah. it. it gets so large that you can't grasp what the number is. You can't wrap your hands. Around. No. What we do know is that the um, the Medicare program itself is thirty eight trillion dollars. Yes. Um, in unfunded liabilities, which is more Thanks. than twice our national debt. That's so a good point. People can't necessarily wrap their mind around what a trillion dollars is, but if you look at the debt and the fact that Medicare all by itself, just Medicare, mm-hmm. um, is, we will never be able to find the money to pay for what we have no. promised in Medicare. No, it's, it's, it's very bad. Um, I was reading another article um, published by the Heritage Foundation about 19 days ago. And they were, one of their bullets was huge payment reductions that reduce access to care. And they were describing um, uh, cuts that will hit Part A providers, such as hospitals, nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, hospices, along with Medicare Advantage plans. Um, And these, um, oh, and prior to that, they said that the uh, Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, uh, says that Obamacare will reduce Medicare reimbursements by $716 billion over 10 years. And so what was intended, the way I see it, what was intended to help people, so-called, it's actually going to hurt us. When they decided how the money would be divvied up in Obamacare, one of the things that they did was they took from Medicare, including Medicare Advantage, the HMO program of Medicare, they took money from Medicare in order to expand access to Medicaid and mm-hmm. the exchange subsidies. And so they really shifted 
um, money from the elderly at a time when the baby boomers are pouring into Medicare. Mm -hmm. And so if I was somebody who was counting on Medicare to be there when I got sick, you know, I would be questioning it because Mm -hmm. there are... um, there are so many baby boomers coming in in the next few years that the Medicare enrollment is going to increase exponentially, mm-hmm. but the money is being cut. Yes. And, and, further, and furthermore, there is a, a panel called the Independent Payment Advisory Board, which is tasked with cutting payments for Medicare services according to how much trouble the Medicare budget is in. Mm. And they get to make those decisions outside of Congress and only if Congress moves as a supermajority to stop them will those cuts not take place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, um, the ar- article I was quoting from also goes on and it quotes some so-called trustees, and these I looked up are the boards of trustees of the Federal Hospital Insurance and Federal Supplementary Medical Insurance Trust Funds, and they're predicting that if Congress allows these cuts to go into effect, then uh, 15% of Medicare providers would go in the red by 2019, 25% by 2030. And you say, oh, that's way, way out. But that's only like 17 years out, and you're losing one quarter of your Medicare providers, according to these trustees, this board of trustees. So uh, this is a real mess on the ground. I, I don't know where this is going. Uh, now, maybe now we have a pastor here, and this is the Reverend Mark Diedrich is joining me today. Uh, I'm just wondering, Pastor Mark, as you look at this, not necessarily the finances so much, maybe that too, but what about the moral implications of all this Obamacare? What what comments come to your mind? There's several that, that I'm, I'm very concerned about. One is that the insurance has to contain certain things. And my concern, of course, is, is one, does it have to contain abortions? Mm-hmm. And we've already seen uh, struggles with the Catholic Church, uh, with schools, the insurance that they want to supply. I just heard today that Geneva College at least got a stay from a judge because they refused to have insurance that would, for their students, that would provide for abortions and, and the various things that they... Geneva. Uh, yeah, That's Geneva. That's a Christian school. That's a Christian school. That's a, actually a Presbyterian uh, college. Mm. And so there's, there's a concern there, uh, always initially, that you have uh, requirements going to be handed down mm. that are not going to be uh, – you cannot square with the, the Scriptures. You're forcing people of faith to support things that uh, they cannot in good conscience mm-hmm. support. The second thing is, what is this whole philosophy behind this thing? Uh, the philosophy I've seen behind it is uh, they want to make government God, mm. and it's to put it in the place of God. And, of course, then you have the death panels as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the problem with the death panels is, again, what they are, are looking at human beings as, they're not looking at it with a, a biblical Worldview, which looks at a human being as as someone who is created with the imago dei, but someone who uh, rather is uh, well, how much can they contribute to society? Oh, yes, and, and, and maybe I'll get real personal on this. Um, as you know, Dan, a year ago, um, my son and daughter-in-law had a little girl that was trisomy eighteen, mm. and um, 
they came from Brazil. He's, he works down there. And, and they came back to the States to have this little girl born. Mm. And I, I believe under Obamacare, they may have said, no, we're not going to pay anything for it. It's a very good point. And there's no value in mm. this child because it, she only lived 11 hours. Yes. But you know what? Yes. She contained the Imago Dei just as much Amen as any of the three of us do. Yes. Amen to that. And, and she was precious That's right. in God's eyes. Yeah. As my son said, uh, later he said, Dad, that was the, those 11 hours we had with little Anna Karen was mm. some of the best hours of my life. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Now, Twyla, I see we're almost out of time today, and I want to give you an opportunity to uh, tell the folks about your organization. If they want to get in touch with you, visit your website, learn more, please please feel free and, and share that. Sure. Our website is www.cchfreedom.org, cchfreedom.org, and they can... Uh, get on there and they can find out more information about what we do. They can find reports. They can um, click at the top of our homepage and subscribe to our e-news, which goes out every Wednesday. Mm. They can find a really important document at the bottom of the homepage about how they do not have to sign the HIPAA privacy form and why they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, They can find that kind of information there. If they want to give us a call, they can call us at 651 646 8935. Mm, beautiful. And also, if um, they miss any of that information, you can always contact us here at the station. We will put you in touch with Twyla's yeah. organization. Twyla, I was just reading about you a little bit. It looks like uh, you have been interviewed in the past CNN, Fox News, NBC Today show. Uh, you, your quotes have appeared in uh, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and others. So we're very honored to have you on with us today and just yeah. want to thank you very much for yeah. joining us. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. It's always good to be able to talk about an issue which I think more and more people are going to experience personally in their life. Yes. I just wanted to add to Dan, that on Redeemer, I, I hate to miss when Twyla's on, uh, when we're driving along <laughs> and I hear her coming on, it's like, okay, everybody in the car is quiet. That little we're gonna, feature. We're going to listen because your feature has <laughs> yeah. so filled with oh, great information. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> great. Yeah. So thanks a lot for producing that. Yeah. So uh, today we're at the end of our program. Twyla, thanks for joining us. And Mark, thank you. And uh, this entire episode is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And a quick reminder, please join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.